Collaboration is vital. So I'm a big believer that technology is a team sport, not an individual effort. Um, so really focus on people who want to collaborate as a team and work out how to make the team better. We're not just looking for folks in the corner with their headphones um, on who are individually brilliant. We want people who can make the team brilliant. Welcome to Technovation. I'm your host, Peter High. My guest today is Johnny Leroy. Johnny's the Chief Technology Officer of Granger, a company that provides maintenance, repair, and operations, an industrial product supplier that earns in excess of $15 billion in annual revenue. Johnny's been in role for more than three and a half years, and he leads teams across Granger's technology group to build capabilities that complement and advance the company's strategy and business model. This includes creating a more modern technology foundation and next generation engineering culture that enables growth through stronger competitive advantages. I look forward to hearing more about the work he and his team are doing in greater depth uh, to do all that I've just described through this conversation. Johnny, welcome to Technovation. It's great to speak with you today. Great. It's great to be here. Great to see you, Peter. Well, thank you. Johnny, well, let's begin for those who may be a little less familiar with Granger. I provided a very small introduction into the company. Could you provide a, a broader one to set some context, please? Yeah, and um, we're a 96-year-old company now, a distributor of industrial supply, maintenance and repair and operations um, products across a broad range of industries. And I actually sometimes like to say that we uh, sell into the basements of big buildings. So we sell into the, uh, whether it's an airport or a, a sporting venue or a hospital or a manufacturing plant, we sell into the folks who actually keep those buildings working. And we're selling in all the products they need, um, whether it's gloves, safety equipment, hand tools, uh, material handling, or other products. So our job is to really keep those uh, unsung heroes in the basements of big, big buildings working. Very well said and, and, and uh, important work to be done. Uh, talk a bit about, if you would, Johnny, your role as Chief Technology Officer. Again, I provided some, some detail there, but I'd love to maybe have you describe your purview, of course, in your own words. Yeah, um, I came in about three and a half years ago, and I sit across pretty much all of our technology, which runs from digital channels, where we're taking our orders through website and mobile, integrated procurement channels, um, through a lot of the supply chain systems, all of the ERP and back office systems, and then all of the team member facing tools and devices from laptops and phones and uh, all the way down to printers. So pretty broad um, purview there. And then really what we're doing to support our data science and analytics as well. Oh, and I have uh, that little thing, cybersecurity also rolls up to me as well. Oh, always a fun yeah. fun topic also. But uh, um, well, I, I know from our past conversations, Johnny, you'd mentioned that your your chief executive officer has a very long-term view towards the development of business strategy. I believe you, you said that he refers to it as a 20-mile march. And especially with that long view, I wonder how that impacts the way in which you think about technology strategy to support some of what the business is putting in place. Yeah, we've, we've got a pretty long-term strategy set. We uh, understand what we have to do day in, day out. And the 20-mile march is really about showing up every day, putting in the 20 miles and making sure we uh, we keep making progress. And we think we really understand the, uh, the cause and effects of what makes our business work. And our focus is less on chasing revenue and more on winning and retaining our customers. So we're really looking for market growth and the economy may go up and down, but we can control how do we win customers and what do we do to retain them? We understand the mechanics of that. And so we're really focused on that. And so a lot of our technology focused is to drive those levers of how do we market to our customers, how to get the right sellers in front of them, the right digital information, and make it super seamless for them to interact with us. And then even provide some benefits back to them of how they manage their cost and uh, manage their inventory. Let's talk about the team that you lead. Obviously, any leader is only as good as his, his or her team. And at a time where 
where there's a paucity of talent in some areas, especially technical disciplines. Um, I wonder if you could talk a bit about your approach to talent development and the development of your team. Yeah, and we have a pretty broad team across a range of areas. Um, A lot of my focus has been almost sort of twofold. One was really growing a net new capability around custom software development, around sort of product engineering, platform engineering. A lot of that has been a build, but then also how we... um, upskill and raise the bar in terms of across the board and bring some more of an engineering mindset. Um, so there's a few different angles that are really interesting. And one is how to leverage the uh, diversity of range we have across where people are in their careers. And so people who are 20, 30 years experience who really deeply understand the nuances and the subtleties of our business and supplementing that with newer and career folks who bring a bunch of energy and curiosity, and then really bringing in some folks who understand the new toolings and the new ways of working that we need to lead. If I think about talent development or engaging people, um, there's probably sort of three major pieces to that. And the first one, and probably the most important, is making sure that people are really aligned to the mission um, and understand that they can show up and do something that's meaningful. And I don't want to cast aspersions onto what happens in Silicon Valley, but particularly in the pandemic, we really saw the importance of Granger's mission, which was keeping the world working. The majority of our workers were essential workers. They were showing up to keep these critical infrastructure and industries working. And so from a technology perspective, a lot of what we do is make sure that each person and each team understands that the output of what they're doing, the impact of what they're doing, helps us run our business, helps us keep Granger running, that helps all these customers keep their businesses running. And so laddering up that mission piece is vital so people know that what they're doing matters. So that's super important. We'll check for that. Um, and then making sure that people have the tools to do their to do their best work um, so that we can leverage all the latest tooling that's necessary to make sure we can automate, have access to all the right um, approaches we need. And so working at Granger shouldn't feel that different um, infrastructure-wise from working at a tech company or a startup. You should have access to the right tools so that you can do your best work. Um, and then finally, it needs to be a culture that supports your growth. So people should feel invested in they should feel like they've got opportunities to grow upwards and to out into different areas. And we put a lot of focus on that piece as well, uh, making sure we've got ongoing training. Uh, we just actually had a big internal tech conference. We had three or 400 people so people could share their learnings. So we're really invested in how to keep growing people the whole way through their career from that uh, early stage out of college um, and even before that uh, point in their career all the way through to retirement. And we try to be that uh, full career employer. It's a great overview. Thank you so much for sharing that, Johnny. And I'd love to, staying with uh, sort of a people topic again, I'm curious about your thought process in terms of uh, how collaboration happens on a team like yours. Uh, I would imagine pre-pandemic, it was mostly in offices as it was for most of the world. And now uh, several years on, I I wonder what what, uh, decisions you have made or policies have been put in place as to when when work is done and where. And I'll probably come at that just sort of um, in a slightly sideways um, approach, because I think um, collaboration is vital, because I'm a big believer that technology is is a team sport, not an individual effort. Um, so really focus on people who want to collaborate as a team and work out how to make the team better. Um, so that's a vital piece. We're not just looking for folks in the corner with their headphones um, on who are individually brilliant. We want people who can make the team brilliant. The pandemic obviously made a pretty big difference um, to how we worked, and we learned a lot. We certainly learned a lot about flexibility and how that can actually support people's um, day-to-day lives and actually maybe give us access and support to a sort of diverse workforce because we can have some flexibility there. So I think um, it's important for me to retain that flexibility 
but there is something about collaboration and understanding people and wanting to work with the people you're working with and actually negotiating through some of the harder discussions that need to happen where actually spending time together is important so we're looking at oh, we're quite a way through when to use in-person versus where to use remote approaches and i think there's that um that spectrum of in-person versus remote there's also a spectrum of synchronous asynchronous that some people forget um, and so what can be written, what can be a collaborative document versus what needs a live conversation. We're experimenting on both those two um, spectrums. Um, across the enterprise, we've got a slight diversity of approaches because from day one of the pandemic, we had people who were still in the distribution centers ma making sure we were shipping products. Um, and so we we're very proud of how our team members showed up. And that sort of gave a lesson to the more office-based people that, um, uh, you know, if they can do it, we should work out how to be in person too. But we, for the tech workers, we're trying to be reasonably mindful because I think I've seen some organizations make mistakes on both ends, either by mandating everyone's got to be back and you see a lot of blowback and people have walked back those decisions and it just create unnecessary noise. Um, then on the flip side saying, we're going remote only, it's possible and I've seen some organizations do that well. Um, but you've really got to make that your thing. You've got to organize around it and make your sort of company ethos with all remote. So we neither of those things. We're trying to work out the best path in the middle. Um, on the tech side, um, I'm really trying to be focused on what are the activities that are better performed in person. So all this activity focus rather than attendance and saying um, a, lot of, a lot of teams have some natural life cycle or cadence, whether it be showcases or planning or retrospectives. Um, so we started building around those and saying some of these are better done in person, particularly planning net new work. So pulling people together for those. And I really sort of picture people's calendars when they think about what's better done in person versus remote is these sort of nested calendars. I don't know if it's like a, a Mayan calendar of, with these sort of nested cycles, but you've got your team calendar that's probably happening week by week or um, sprint by sprint. But what activities are better done largely in person? And then for the broader team, for your group, there'll be more like monthly activities of town halls or face-to-faces or trainings that might overlay on top of that at better times um, to come in person. And then across the whole technology group, there's some stuff we're doing quarterly or annually. So I see people trying to reason about which activities are useful to be in person for. They can think through that. Um, and we've on top of that, we've definitely pushed and had some success that the more senior folks probably need to be in person a lot more often because they're really um, needing to collaborate, but also having to work through some of the tougher decisions of actually where organizational tension points, the natural necessary tension points in the business, you know, between speed and budget or sort of securing things and, um, and so on need to get played out. And there, I think a bit of the human touch is pretty helpful and being in person is, is a helpful part of that. Um, so we're trying to balance. We are thinking sort of activities over attendance. Um, and then also, I guess the extra piece is, um, there's a phrase I heard, I don't know who said this, but uh, making the office um, a magnet rather than a mandate and trying to make people want to come back in. Um, and we've definitely seen that early career um, folks who are coming out of university or early in their career, they really want to be in person. They're trying to uh, build community. They're trying to learn how to work. And that's beginning to pull in some more senior folks as well. And so we're just working out how to respond to that. We're our downtown uh, merchandise mart digital facility um, we're just redoing some of the layout there to accept that the office is being used differently and try to rebalance dedicated head down space from more collaborative open space and how to balance that out so that all those use cases are, are supported
Yeah, very interesting. Downtown uh, Chicago, uh, just downtown Chicago. Chicago yes, yep, yep. yeah. You can tell uh, by the accent I'm from Chicago. Yes, exactly. It's, it's very <laughs> thick. Uh, <laughs> uh, so I wanted to. You, you mentioned at the outset that yours is a nearly hundred year old firm. I think you said ninety six years. Ninety six, I believe. Yeah. Yeah, that Granger's been in business. Any business with a storied uh, history like that would also have a uh, need, especially from a technology perspective, to grapple with modernization. Um, yep. And I mean, e- even firms that are ten years yep. old, uh, you know very quickly uh, need need to reckon with with uh, the necessity for modernization but all the more so for for an organization with as 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 long and as i say storied history as yours does i wonder if you could talk a bit about how you've thought about modernizing the the technology and practices of of granger yeah and in my career i've seen companies that are 2 years old that have a <laughs> that needs addressing and i think at, at granger we have thrived over the years by actually innovating multiple times. And we've been early into quite a few trends. We were early into the internet, early into automation in the distribution centers and so on. Um, and that's, that's helped propel us forwards. But those the benefits of those tend to taper off. So you've got to keep looking at what's the next curve and how do we keep driving ourselves forwards? And that's one of the reasons I came on board three and a half years ago, because Granger was already beginning to look at how to expand our approach, how to leverage technology well. And one big piece of that was getting better at building our own software in places where we thought we were differentiated and had the rights and the scale to be advantaged. Um, So one big chunk of our modernization is really learning how to build custom software to drive better and more advantaged business processes. So there's a big focus on that that we can talk about for a moment. And then the other piece is looking across our whole landscape of how do we modernize that and how do we um, make it operate faster, support all the volume that's coming through, make it more reliable, more secure, um, and manageable at, at a better cost point. So really my job is trying to do both those things at once, is how do we drive net new advantage for the business and help us keep taking market share? And then how do we modernize the totality of our ecosystem at the same time? So it's trying to do those two things at, at once that's uh, keeps me pretty busy. Johnny, uh, any, any organization that is focused on technology and innovation, these are fun and interesting topics, but uh, yours is a role, as you articulated, that also focuses on a, a critically important aspect uh, for any technology uh, leader, and that is cybersecurity. And I wonder if you can share share some perspectives on the practices that you're putting in place there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cybersecurity, is, as everyone is aware, is becoming more and more um, important. Been trying to help our leadership team make sure they understand there's not just a compliance activity. It's not just trying to hit a checklist and um, hit some scores, but to understand in the same way that it's a competitive sport, in the same way that we're competing against our competitors. Um, in the well-regulated world, there's also a set of less well-regulated competitors who are trying to steal data or interrupt our operations. And they're getting better funded and more motivated um, and better equipped. We've been doing a few things to try to um, improve on the cybersecurity side to sort of keep up with these and um, with these attackers. The two major pieces I think about, or maybe maybe it's three. One is on the um is really how we build security into what we're doing. So as we're modernizing our systems, as we're providing more automation, um, better infrastructure automation, better um, software automation, better network automation, that's a great hook in which to puts um, cybersecurity tooling, whether it's making sure that we've got all the right tooling on all of our um, infrastructure and devices, or whether it's using software delivery pipelines to hook in 
security scans and so on. I think those things track together, this whole DevSecOps approach of how to integrate um, security into um, development and operations, leveraging automation. That's one big piece. So we're really looking at how do those things come together? So actually, how do we get multiple wins from a similar investment of, of uh, modernizing our tools and practices? The other big piece is around how the security teams and other teams show up and making sure they're super collaborative. Um, and that's a two-way piece. Uh, InfoSec cybersecurity teams have been doing a lot of work to work out how they get out of their tower and really collaborate with 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 other teams and really sort of had a um, really big shift in culture to be a very collaborative and educational um, group. And then part of my job is to make sure every other team understands the importance that they play in making sure that we're as secure as we can be. So making sure that everyone understands that security is their responsibility as well. And I think we're seeing this great sort of collaborative approach between our um, security teams and the rest of our technology and operational teams. And then that's underpinned by our sort of modernization um, across the board. So those are two of the major things we're, we're trying to do there. Very interesting indeed. I I, I wanted to, uh, as a consequence of, of uh, more modern practices and modern technology, uh, one can build upon that with greater confidence uh, that you're doing so with a better foundation in place. I know uh, among the ways in which you have uh, taken advantage of the more modern foundation that has that has been set is to uh, modernize and increase your capacity from a data perspective. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit about your team's use of data and the, the strategy you've implemented from that perspective, please. Yeah, there's multiple things, but I think one of the most interesting pieces is I mentioned how we've been on this custom software roadmap, and that's really our product development roadmap where we are intentional and long-term about the advantage we're building. Um, and so the the focus there, our CEO promises is, is pretty simple. Like our job is to understand our products and our customers better than anyone else and match them together. So we've made some pretty long-term investments in how we understand our product information and our customer information. And those are big areas where we've been focused on our um, custom approaches. The lesson there is as we're building custom software, our job, and actually my peer, our chief product officer, Brian Walker's job particularly, is to spend time with the business partners and say, for this area, for this area of operations, um, how might you want to operate if you are unconstrained by the current technology that we have? And sometimes challenge them a few times to sort of think more broadly and uh, more aggressively about that. And so then as they rework some of the business processes, some of the standard work, we build custom technology to support that. And then we get into this nice dance of they go, ah, now I'm learning that I can actually improve the process this way. We build um, technologies and tools to support that. And we're in this nice flywheel of improved operations and improved website and experience. And that's part of the flywheel of this product development. But what we're really seeing is what gets um, the beneficial side um, effect of that is better data. And that is advantage data, proprietary data that our understanding of our products, our suppliers, our customers, and how we provide them advantage. So we really think that actually our focus on driving better business outcome through this custom product-driven software approach creates better data for us. And so then, then there's all the questions of actually, how do you get that data to the right places? Um, and so there's a bit of a pull from what are the use cases? Um, and that's where we've been growing our analytical and data science capabilities over multiple years of actually how to leverage data to give our customers and our team members better insights or better outcomes. So what do our customers, what information do our customers need to run their business better? Because we actually can help them think about how their operations are across multiple locations, provide them some benefit there. 
Um, we've been investing in things like um, computer vision, so we can actually, with your phone, identify, hey, what is this product? I need a replacement. It broke. So getting much better at doing that. So we've gained some of the skills that are now the pull for better data. So you want better product information, better customer information to feed into that. And now we're looking at what are the mechanics of making sure we get this advantage data we're creating to the places where we want it. And we do some of the usual investments in, in the data platform and data foundations there, beginning to look at the emerging spaces around machine learning operations, about actually how you reliably take new models, get them in front of customers, but then get the feedback loop. So as you get feedback, you can learn and adjust and improve those models over time. Um, that's one big area. And then I think uh, there's always a human layer. And for some of the more complex, advanced, derived, aggregated data sets, making sure we've got the right ownership on them. Um, and so we've seen this um, product ownership view of software being really helpful um, to drive what are we building? What's our long-term thesis? What do our internal or external customers need? We're driving the same now around internal product data assets is to get some level of product management and product thinking around this uh, data set is an internal asset and it's got various people who want things from it. What's the roadmap for improving that? So that's uh, product ownership is some of the thinking around that sort of data mesh thinking of uh, um, data product management that's beginning to be useful for us. Great description. And, and speaking of, of laying foundations, it strikes me that all you described uh, aids in the, the organization being able to take advantage of, of advanced uh, algorithmic technology like artificial intelligence or generative AI as well. Can you talk a bit about, um, you know, again, that foundation that you have laid and its ability to aid your adoption of, of these modern practices? Yeah, and um, like everyone, the um, we, we still have some work to do. And I um, quite often say, um, I think it's a William Gibson quote of the uh, future's already arrived, it's just unevenly distributed. So we have some very advanced areas with sort of computer vision areas and data science areas where we think, and, and actually how we're doing search, um, we think we're using some pretty advanced techniques, but we've got a pretty broad business. So we've still got our work to make sure that we get everything um, where we want it to be. Um, but in terms of... Um, the opportunities coming out of AI or advanced data science. Um, there's some interesting things happen. We think we're well positioned because we've made these investments into fundamental data assets that we think are really important for us. We think we're a long way down that path. So that's a really good input. Um, and then we think we've got a pretty good thesis about what's important for our customers, about how we make um, getting the products they need super simple, and then how we can give them some um, insights and some tangible value into how they operate their business. So we've got like some of the data assets, we've got some theses around how we provide value, and we've got some of the skill sets to start executing on that. So we're looking at some of the, some of the use cases where that might be useful of where some of the um, AI approaches might help. Um, how can that help with um, making sure that we have all the right information for our customer service teams, for example, to make sure they can um, serve our customers well. Also looking at lots of internal areas where we might be able to um, leverage data science to improve our processes. Um, software engineering is, is, is one of those. And I think there's plenty of areas that we're experimenting with where we see the ability for our teams to get more product, productive and more effective. Um, but yeah, happy to talk more about that. There's a, there's an analogy that you used in a conversation you and I previously had, which is one that I, I also uh, have been using, which is the analogy of artificial intelligence and mobile. Um, yeah, and, yeah. and I wonder if you can, I'd love to have you um, explain your version of that, if you would. Yeah, and so because as as we're seeing this inflection points, and it definitely is an inflection point of 
a movement around, particularly around generative AI, of the potential for it and the excitement and some hype um, around it. People are asking, is it like the internet or is it like mobile, the iPhone? And maybe it's a little bit of um, both. Personally, I see it a little bit more like the advent of the iPhone and the mobile application ecosystem that came with that. And I remember being pretty involved at the time and everyone was excited. I was working for a tech consulting company um, and all of our customers, they wanted the shiny app. And we're thinking, how much does this app cost? And you, know, you could work out, okay, some you know iOS devs um, and how much time that would take. But really what it drove was deeper down the ecosystem. Um, it was like the tip of the iceberg. The app was the tip of the iceberg. Everything underneath, it pushed people to have real-time APIs that they may not have had, um, APIs that could actually execute transactions. And then the infrastructure to support real-time, all the time, people accessing via mobile. So the app was the pretty easy piece. Getting your data and your APIs and your real-time infrastructure in place was the harder bit um, for mobile. Feels similar for um, for AI. The you know, a nice conversational layer that can understand humans and interact with them. Not necessarily the easy piece, although our friends at OpenAI and Microsoft and Google and others are making it easier and easier. Um, but making sure you have the data to feed into it and then the ability to execute out the other side, so the right APIs and the right um, transactional capabilities is some of the harder work. Um, so yeah, I see it more similar to mobile um, that we're really um, pushing into a different way of interacting. Actually, maybe even to stretch that, mobile changed how we interact. We interact by pointing and uh, um, um, with touch screens. And I think a lot of what we're seeing out of generative AI is a different way of interacting. So interacting conversationally in a sort of human language way. So uh, finally the, uh, the chat bots are here and they're a bit more real. <laughs> so yeah, so, so that's how I look at that one. That's I, I think it's really well articulated. Uh, I know, Johnny, uh, as, as Chief Technology Officer, you also spend a lot of time with customers and draw perspectives from them to help uh, educate you and your team on areas of focus. Uh, I wonder if you could talk a bit about your methods there and, and maybe some conclusions you've drawn in recent interactions with customers, please. Yeah. Um, and as an organization, we think it's really important, like one of our first priorities is start with the customer, really understand the, the customer problem, because our job is to make their problems go away. Nearly all of our customers, they don't really want to care about, do I have enough inventory in my um, maintenance or repair or operations groups? They want that to be a problem they don't have to think about. So we take that on for them. So we've got to understand their business. So understand how to make that those problems disappear. Um, so making sure we go visit our customers, visit our operations regularly is a big thing we're pushing inside the technology group, as well as across the whole organization. Um, and in, interestingly, actually, uh, as we're looking across the business of this return to office, we're pushing to be a little bit less headquarters centric and make sure that people get out into the field. So if we're looking at, you know, sure there's a certain amount of home remote time, but you need some in office time, but you need some in the field time as well to go understand customers. Um, so I think I take a few things. One, just taking some motivation, as I said, getting people motivated about the customers we're serving and why it's important is vital. So it's just a little bit of that empathy and motivation for the, the work we're doing. That always comes into um, whenever I go on a customer visit. Actually, I was in Seattle a few months ago and seeing diversity of the customers we support in terms of motivation. One was a downtown um, housing provider, often for the um, unhoused. And so they were like, 
the work they were doing was super super essential and um, super hard, and the problems they had were quite low level. Of how do I patch this wall, or how do I um, repair this this faucet? And then we'd see a very high end modern energy company who had some super high end, almost science fiction problems, but they all needed the same set of um, products. So I think one piece is getting the motivation for why we're um, working. Um, and the other piece is just really trying to understand what makes their lives easier. So how we show up. Um, and some of that is similar to sort of consumer retail. If you've got to have a good website and a good ability to confidently find the right products. But we have to go a step beyond. We have to work out how do we integrate deeply into these often big companies' procurement systems, or how do we deploy inventory management um, or vending machines to make sure it's super easy for our customers? Then how do we make sure we've got the right products there? And so just sort of getting deeper and deeper into what each of our customers really need um, is a good takeaway to understand what to focus on. As a technologist, the flip side is we have so many customers that are so broad that you can over-index on one specific problem. So some of what we have to do is sort of step back a couple of layers and say, across our customers, what are the investments that are really going to help all of them um, and really sort of raise all those boats rather than just fixating on, I'm going to solve this one specific customer problem. Um, but that's probably actually a benefit of how we go to market. We have technology and team members, and we have a pretty, we operate this high touch model, which means we can have team members going to visit customers supported by technology. So what's the interplay between those two? So it's often not just a technology solution. Sometimes we're trying to give superpowers to our team members so they can actually go help our customers better. Um, and, and that can fill in the gaps of where systems really support our customers, but where actually we need a human layer to uh, smooth out those gaps across the diversity of the people we're supporting. Very interesting. Yeah, thank you for thank you for sharing that. Um, Johnny, I also wanted to ask you as somebody who um, you know has, has reached the height that you have at a, at a company of such consequence, what have been some of the secrets to your rise? And, and, <laughs> and maybe if, if I may uh, ask you to dig even a little bit further into the deeper tracks of your 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 career, uh, how did a classics, somebody who read the <laughs> classics in at Oxford become a CTO uh, to begin with? Uh, but 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 I would also yes. be interested in, in the, the yes. later stages of, of what 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 has taken you to the heights that you have that you've reached. Well, I took a slightly windy path, and I think <laughs> um, I'm old enough that computer science wasn't necessarily one of the biggest uh, university courses when I was um, growing up in the in the UK. And I do actually recommend people taking a slightly sort of windy path through their technology journeys. Some people try to move very fast, have a plan for exactly where they want to get to. Um, and I think sometimes taking some time to spread out and get a diversity of experience is super important. That's actually something inside uh, Granger we try to support people rotating through different areas. My path was probably windier than most. Um, started out um, with Latin and Greek literature, language and philosophy and uh, detoured via law and um, was actually in more interested in how the computers um, supported massive documents and case management and became more interested in the computers than actually um, in the law. But then navigated through technology through a range of areas. Um, was involved in the UK London startup scene in the late 90s, early um, 2000s. So learned a lot there around not just the tech, but finances and raising money, about dealing with customers, uh, dealing with innovation, running a business. So I had a bit of roundedness there. Um, went through a tech consulting company that gave me a range of technologies and a range of customers. Um, and actually spent quite a while on the West Coast, um, based in San Francisco, Whereas supporting enterprises and tech companies and some startups and used to joke that a lot of what I was focused on was um, 
as startups or smaller companies hit an inflection point as they were trying to hit a human organizational and an architectural scaling point often at the same point how would we help them grow up what are the practices technically organizationally they needed to scale um, and then on the flip side looking at bigger enterprises who wanted to leverage some of that startup tech goodness used to joke i'd help them loosen up so it's helping the startups grow up and helping the um, enterprises loosen up but i really believe there's kind of a sweet spot of how you organize teams so they can fit into the overall vision and understand what they're doing, have the good tooling to give them leverage, but have a reasonable amount of autonomy to do their best work. So maybe just coming back full circle to how you motivate um, um, technologists is kind of the same, whether it's across really smallish startup tech companies or much bigger enterprises. And that's some of the magic we're trying to create at, um, at Granger is bring that uh, feeling of doing your best work and working quickly um, in a, that you might get out of a startup or a tech company, but doing that in a well-supported 96-year-old company on a mission that we think is really important. Fascinating journey that you've had, Johnny. I appreciate you sharing a little bit about it uh, with me. And 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 more broadly, really appreciate a, a stimulating conversation covering especially the work, the good work you and your team are doing uh, at Granger. Fascinating innovations that you're putting in place uh, while also ensuring that a, a storied, nearly 100-year-old company uh, is prepared to continue to compete in the digital age. Th thank you for a great conversation. Thanks so much, Peter. Really enjoyed it.